Hey guys, welcome back to the Kampai Sugai Podcast. My name is Gavin, and today we have uh, another candidate here, a Republican candidate for uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, he's a former U.S. Marine, 24 years, right? Yeah, 23 years and eight months to be exact. Yeah. Okay. Almost okay. hit the 24. That's a long time, though, for, for military. Yeah, you know, it seemed like it at the time, but I've been retired for 13 years, uh -huh. and I uh, can't believe I've been retired that long. You know, they say the older you get, the faster time goes, so <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely finding that true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't believe um, for myself, you know, I've been out of high school for, because I graduated 2010, and it's 2022 right now, so it's been it's been a long time, but at the, at the same time, it, it feels like Maybe just yesterday. So. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Adult time is totally different than kid time, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, former U.S. Marine, uh, went up to E-9. We could talk about that as well. That's a big honor, actually. E becoming an E-9 Master Gunnery Sergeant, that's a big position, especially in... Because my, my brother-in-law is um, E-6. So, is he a Marine? Um, no, Army. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's great. Glad, glad for his service. Mm-hmm. And uh, CEO and founder of PM Pro Learn. We, of course, we can talk about that as well. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a round of applause for Mr. Tim Dalhouse. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. So, yeah. uh, the, uh, you know, it was definitely was an honor in the Marine Corps uh, making E9, but, but more than an honor, it's just a, a, a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I was promoted through the ranks, every... Every promotion, sure, there's a pay raise, there's more uh, authority, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, maybe some, some respect goes along with that. But the biggest thing is, hey, you're now responsible for a lot more people. Mm -hmm. You're now responsible for a lot more government resources and a lot more leadership over Marines. A lot more people are looking to you mm. for leadership. And mm -hmm. how do we, how do we uh, you know, go into these tough environments and, uh, you know, keep it all together and function as a team mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, get the job done and uh, come home safely. And they're looking to you. So it's a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. there, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, how, how was the testing for that? Because I know my brother-in-law, when he, when he took for E6, he, he said it was one of the hardest things he's, he had to do to test for. Yeah, so the different branches have different promotion systems. And some of them, like you were mentioning, have a a test. The Marine Corps doesn't, uh, at least when I was in, may have changed mm. in 13 years, but not that <laughs> I'm aware of. But the Marine Corps doesn't promote based on testing results. Mm. It's performance based. Mm. Uh, you know, once you reach a certain rank, there's uh, in lower ranks, they look at physical fitness score, rifle marksmanship score and things like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you make to a certain rank in the Marine Corps, it becomes all about your performance evaluations. Mm -hmm. So you're graded by your senior people in different areas and oh, then okay. based on merits and performance. Correct. Based. Okay. Yep. Nice. And so the Marine Corps promotion boards don't look at a test score per se. They look at the entire Marine mm. and the, the performance evaluations over time mm. and select the best Marine for the position based on those evaluations. Do they ever do like a, I don't want to say like a, um, like a character based test to, to maybe they, they base some of their, um, their promotions based on like character-based leadership qualities from a um you know from somebody from a marine well there's no written testing mm -hmm. but character is definitely something that is evaluated you know when mm -hmm. i mentioned performance 
um, to expand on that term, it's it's more than just performance. There's all these different areas, mm-hmm. right? There, you get graded on your leadership. You do get graded on character. You get graded on things like integrity, uh, things like judgment. And so there's all these factors that are pulled in and you're evaluated on these different areas. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely character traits in there. The Marine Corps is very big on character. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, they, you know, they, uh, they, when I was in, they had a little card called the core values card. Okay. And you were supposed to carry that around at all times. If someone called you and says, Hey, where's your core values card? You were supposed to be able to produce that and know wow. what those are. And th- so the three core values of the Marines mm-hmm. were honor, courage, and commitment. Mm-hmm. And you need to know what those were about. You needed to, to be able to explain your actions in a certain situation and how does your core values relate to the decision you just made or mm. the actions mm-hmm. you're taking in a situation. So the Marine Corps is very character oriented, but it's not a written test, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's based mm-hmm. on observation by senior people who've been there and, and understand, you know, a more mature view over time of what those character traits look like when they're lived out. Mm-hmm. I like that because in a lot of ways, um, you know, people forget about the, the character based part about leadership. You know, and then, you know, leadership is not just about the intelligence, knowing everything, knowing um, the ins and outs of procedures. That's part of it. But mm-hmm. that that can that kind of stuff can be taught and right. be be, uh, be learned. So but for character, it's it, character based stuff. It's very um, ex- performance or experience. Uh, it comes with uh, day to day living, you know, so. Yeah, yeah that's I like right. that. Yeah. So uh, leadership in, in the Marine Corps and then also in this field of project management mm-hmm. that my company PM ProLearn trains people how to do and get mm. certified in the field of project management. There's leadership, obviously, in the Marines, but there's also leadership in all sorts of different fields. And project management has a lot of leadership. You're leading teams uh, on accomplishing missions. And, you know, a lot of people look at the, the concept of leadership and say, Hey, leadership is being able to get people to do what you need them to do, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a team. I need them to accomplish a task. I need to lead them to be able to do that. And that's right. true. But I, but I like uh, t- for myself and what I learned in the Marine Corps is that leadership is more than getting people to do what you need them to do. It's being able to get them to want to do mm-hmm. what you need them to do. Mm-hmm. More about the personal motivation. How can I get this team or these individuals uh, motivated to do what I need them to do, mm-hmm. right? Because you get so much better work and a better outcome and better team-oriented environment when people understand and mm-hmm. buy into the goals mm-hmm. and they're doing the work and accomplishing the mission, not because they have to, right. but because, oh, invested. I'm invested. I want mm-hmm. to see this same outcome that my leader wants me to see. Mm-hmm. So leadership is about getting people to buy into the mission and the reason for accomplishing that mission, whether the mission is to take that enemy objective if you're in the military or whether Uh it's to accomplish that project like the light rail project here in Hawaii, right? We have to to get people to see the end vision Mm. and and, and buy into what that is. And if if your vision is messed up and, you know, you're not going to be able to get people to buy into it. People Mm. look at the rail project, for example, here in Hawaii and say, wait a minute, what's going on over there? What's mm-hmm. the vision of this thing? Mm-hmm. Because the date to complete that's been pushed out so many times, the budget's been mm-hmm. you know, increased so many times, and so it's hard to get people to buy into something like mm-hmm. that. So part of leadership is obviously you know, creating a good vision and uh, uh, being able to, to get people to buy into that vision. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways that ties mm-hmm. into the Hawaii elections because there's a history about 
um, Hawaii citizens not voting. And I think in a lot of ways it's because a lot of them are not invested or they, they don't feel like they're invested in um, the decisions that are made in Hawaii. And something like the rail, that that's one thing where people maybe not invested in it, but then they're questioning why it's being built and, you know, where's the money coming from? Or why is there so much money being put in this, this project that hasn't been built for mm -hmm. over 10 years? You know what I mean? Totally. And, um, and that's, that's why I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's miscommunication, but there's also, um, distrust in a lot of people these days. And then they, they end up not voting because, um, they're just like, Oh, doesn't matter who I vote for, you know, something's something yeah. bad's going to happen, you know? Right. And I, you know, that is a, that's a sad commentary on where we're at, but you know, mm -hmm. I think that, um, some elected officials mm -hmm. over a period of time have enjoyed the ignorance of the people, mm. right? Mm -hmm. It gives government power if people don't know what's going on. Where's yeah. the money coming from? Where's it going to? Why are we doing this or that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, some folks that get into public office enjoy that mm. because it gives them power. Mm. I get to make the decisions. I get to... Um, say where this money's going and nobody can really question me about it because they don't understand it. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's why we need to encourage people. And you're doing a great job here, letting folks like me speak mm -hmm. and say, look, we need to elect people to office up and down the ticket from the, from the, 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 the local council, mm -hmm. uh, people all, right. all the way up to the, you know, the U S Senate, everybody in between, we need to look for people that want to, uh, or, or, uh, officials that want to listen to the people and also want to be transparent with the people mm -hmm. and say, look, if I'm in office, you're going to know where I stand. You're going to know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to always want to know where you, as the people I'm representing, where do you stand on issues and what questions do you have? What mm -hmm. can I answer for you? Mm -hmm. Because government works best when the, the people that elect the officials are heard by those officials mm -hmm. and that the officials remember, Hey, I'm here not to be in power. Mm -hmm. I'm here to serve those people. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. And what so many of my, um, Republican, uh, you know, uh, uh candidates, right. Fellow candidates mm -hmm. want to do as well. So I really want to encourage just voters, to you know, to get out there and do it, get voting mm -hmm. and vote people in that are, that are saying, Hey, on the record, I want to listen to you. I want to be transparent. I want to serve you. I don't want to be in control and have power over you. I want to do things that are good for the people, mm -hmm. not things that make me feel big or in some position yeah. of control. Right. So, yeah. And in a lot of ways, like politics, I want to circle back to this, but a lot of people think that politics, there's a lot of misdirection in what people say. They may say something, but then actually it's, it's, it's another statement. It, it means something else. You know, it's like a double-edged sword in a way. Right. And, um, but that's why, it, like, this election specifically, there's so many new candidates, but there's a lot of new candidates that want change here in Hawaii, you know? And that's a great thing because that means people are fed up, but also that also means that um, people are tired of the same old network or same old system. And uh, and they're doing something about it. But then the fact that we have to come to that point, that's a bad thing, too. Yes, I agree. But, you know, I, I'm really super encouraged this year by just the sheer number of candidates mm -hmm. that are running. 
these are people that like I've never run for public office before. Yeah. You know, never done this before. Uh -huh. And there's so many other candidates that I've met that uh, have told me the same thing. Yeah, I've never run for office, but I'm running for for the council. I'm running mm -hmm. for the the house or the the state. You know, here at the the and I knew lieutenant uh, governor and governor candidates that have never run for office. All right. But the fact that that so many new candidates are jumping in here is an indicator that the people are starting to rise up and say we need to get involved mm -hmm. and we don't need to be uh you know just trusting that these people that have been in office forever are listening to us and being transparent with us mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. just the sheer number of candidates that we have is an indicator that people are starting to wake up mm -hmm. and say we need to get involved so i think that we're going to see not only just a bunch of new candidates which we already see mm -hmm. but we're going to also see a lot of new voters mm. a lot of people May, they might not may not be ready to run for office, but they're like, I need to vote this time. I've mm -hmm. never voted before, right. but I'm going to do it this time. Mm -hmm. Or instead of just voting that straight Democrat Party ticket like I've always done and my family's always done, let me actually research the candidates and see what these people stand for mm -hmm. and pick the right person, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just voting how we've always voted. Right, visa name recognition or whatever commercial pops up first on the screen right, while we're right. filling out the ballot, you know, mail-in ballot or something, you know? Right, exactly. Um, but, I, but I've come across in, the, in just recent weeks talking to a lot of people who knew me, mm -hmm. and I asked them, well, how did you know me? How did you, you know, hear my name and my message of what I stand for? Mm -hmm. And I've had lots of people say, well, I got my ballot, and I just started Googling the names on there. Mm. And I saw your website. I saw where you responded to you know, Civil Beat survey or Star Advertiser survey, and I read it. And so that's super encouraging mm -hmm. because people are starting to make more informed decisions about who they're voting for and why. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to encourage that. I mean, that's when democracy works. Why do you think there's there hasn't been a lot of coverage with um, spe specifically your, you know, the position you're running for? Because there's Brian Schatz, who's on the Democrat side with, uh, I forgot the other the person's name that's running against him in the, in the primary but for the Republican candidates, there's five of you guys. So there hasn't been a lot of coverage. It's mainly been governor, maybe lieutenant governors. That's pretty much it. Yeah, so there's, there's several factors going on there. And of course, I'm, you know, I, I've got an opinion on that and I don't uh -huh. have scientific research behind this, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but several factors going on. So the first thing is that, you know, the, the, the US Senate is a federal office mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that just don't understand what they do, mm -hmm. right? Okay, yeah, I know we've got senators and representatives, but I've gotten a lot of questions from uh, people at campaign events that ask me, you know, hey, what are you running for? And I'm saying the United States Senate. And then they say, well, what district? What district are you representing? Mm -hmm. And I say, well, no, the U.S. senators don't Boy, have district a district. <laughs> right, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a statewide, mm -hmm. you know, race. Mm -hmm. And there's confusion over, well, wait, I thought you were separated by districts, and I know the House of Representatives is separated mm -hmm. by districts. So there's maybe a little, a little less information or knowledge about what, you know, the federal government roles are. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that, um, you know, in this, in this state, obviously Republicans, I'm sorry, the Democrats have been in uh, you know power for the last 60 years uh, without a lot of challenge and opposition from the Republicans. So the last Republican senator we had was 1977. And so it's been a long That's time. A long time. <laughs> it's a long time. The, the Democrats that have been in control of mm -hmm. our government at the state and the federal level representing Hawaii 
have no there's no benefit for them to advertise the Senate race. Uh, right. Interesting. That they, they they want they don't want anybody to know who Tim Dalhouse is. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. They want to ignore me uh, because they want to no one to to be interested in it. Mm-hmm. So the lack of interest is a control mechanism by the the people that are currently there, mm. uh, you know, is one of the factors. Another factor is simply that so many issues that touch people's everyday life, like the lockdowns, right, here mm-hmm. locally, where, you know, the governor came up with an executive order that says, hey, we all have to wear masks and, mm-hmm. you know, vaccine mandates and all this stuff. Those are state-level issues that affect people's lives very quickly and very directly. And the federal office holders don't have direct control over that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's there's state issues and there's federal issues. Mm-hmm. So people are more directly impacted by state level issues mm-hmm. um, in their minds. Right, because right? it's currently affecting them. And it's currently affecting them, right? They can go out the door and immediately see the impact. Right. And so those, those people that are in the positions to make those local state level decisions mm-hmm. are just gonna be highlighted a little bit more by the media because that's what's on everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. But the federal level positions obviously are, are making decisions and legislation that impact the state mm-hmm. just in broader and higher level uh, areas mm. like the Jones Act for example <clears throat> that you know uh, restricts uh, shipping uh, to US flagships US built ships and uh, US owned ships so mm-hmm. that's a that's a federal level thing that does have an impact on the state of Hawaii mm-hmm. and governor can't do anything about that mm-hmm. right? only the federal level but people have less of an understanding of what federal issues affect their daily lives. Right. And one of the things that I want to do, though, is educate people on that. Mm-hmm. What can I, as a U.S. Senator, do to help your life, mm-hmm. improve your life, improve your future for your cakey, mm-hmm. and, you know, have that impact? Um, and one of the things I want to do is work very closely as a U.S. Senator with the state government officials mm-hmm. on what do you need from the federal government? What support, what funding, what uh, legislation can we do at the federal level that will empower the state to be healthier mm-hmm. economically, opportunity-wise, health-wise, because health care is a uh, you know, concern here. Yeah. So many things, but the federal government can support that. Mm. There's a lot of factors that go into the why, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to even talk about it because maybe this of helps course. elevate the, uh, you know, the recognition of uh, you know, the, the federal Yeah, the office. awareness. The yeah. awareness, yeah. Especially, it's kind of like the iceberg effect because you know, when I talk about like the, the iceberg effect, there's like there's the stuff that people can see above the water, right? That tip of the iceberg, but then right. there's underneath it, there could be a whole bunch of different stuff. That's that people, correct. That yeah. people don't see. That's a great. That's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the the above the iceberg, what people see would be lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. And who you know, who can fix that? Right? right. Who immediately can do that? Mm-hmm. And but all that stuff under the surface of the water, you still need that mm-hmm. taken care of. Right. To make sure constitutional that constitutional rights. I mean, it goes right into mm-hmm. our freedoms. You know, as U.S. citizens. So that's everything underneath the the water that people can see. So absolutely. Um, but it, it, of course, it does take more research for people part. You know, people's part to actually understand and. And see what you know what's going on to the a little bit more digging, but right, you know, I think the digging is worth it in a way, because then people are more aware of okay, the lockdowns are happening because of this, 
You know what I mean? They they understand why they see certain things at the tip of the iceberg. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, because issues change over time, like mm-hmm. what what are issues on the things that are issues on people's minds right now may fade and go away and four years from now we have all new issues that come mm-hmm. up right we don't know what's going to come up so when we're voting for who to put in office mm-hmm. people that are going to be there for two years for example in the house of representatives or four years as a governor or in my case six years as mm-hmm. a united states senator when you vote for me or brian shots mm-hmm. you're voting for what's going to happen for the next six years mm-hmm. that's even longer than the president of the united states mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize the the uh, uh, you know power that rests in senators simply because they're there so long, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're able to be involved in so many decisions over time. So what I encourage people to do is when you're voting, sure, current issues are very important, but you also need to look at the character of the individual that you're voting for because they're going to be there a long time. And you mm-hmm. need to know, how is this person going to vote in the future, mm-hmm. right? How are they going to react when a different situation comes up you need to understand the federal level right how does this how does this person in the senate how is this senator going to think Mm. about problem solving for example Mm -hmm. what are the principles that they're going to operate on like are they for big government Mm -hmm. um taxing you know people to death and spend 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 are they for smaller government that empowers people puts more money and buying power in their pockets Mm -hmm. are they for personal freedoms are they more for control of you know the 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 mm-hmm. civilian uh, uh, the population, mm-hmm. so you know understanding how uh, the candidate thinks is so important. Uh, and are they going to listen to me? Mm-hmm. Are they going to listen to the people? Or are they just going to go up there and make their own choices about things and never talk to us again for the next six years? Right. <laughs> right? So that's so important. And for me, um, I want to be very connected as much as I can to everyone in Hawaii, whether they vote for me or not. Mm-hmm. If I become senator, uh, when I become senator, I am going to be as connected as I can with everyone in Hawaii. Mm. And I've got a couple of plans on how to do that, such as uh, um, a monthly uh, uh, just webinar where I'll pop onto Zoom, oh, for nice. example, and, okay. and say, hey, whoever wants to join this thing across the state, you can join. Tim will talk about what's going on in the Senate, what current bills are up for consideration, my thinking on those things. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to respond in some way as to, you know, hey, what 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 am I thinking about that as mm-hmm. a, a person living in Hawaii, you know, with those decisions, mm-hmm. being impacted by those decisions. So that's just one thing I want to do in surveys and polls and um, always answering people and staying very connected Mm -hmm. because I, uh, you know, I have my opinions on things. We all do. Mm -hmm. And I'm obviously taking those opinions with me to Washington, D.C., to the Senate. But the most important opinion that I have is not Tim Dalhouse's uh, opinion. It's the opinion of the people of Hawaii. Mm. So I want to represent the people of Hawaii. So I want everyone to know that. That, yeah, I'm taking certain values and, and uh, belief systems about how government ought to operate. But more than that, I want I want input from the people that I serve. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, because um, like you were talking about earlier with the U.S. senators, it's one for each state. So for Hawaii, there's only if you got elected, it would just be you. So well, there there are two senators. Oh, two senators. Yeah. So we have we have Brian Schatz and Maisie Hirono. Oh, OK. OK. But yeah, they're, they're both statewide. But they're, statewide. they're not separated yeah. by districts. Uh-huh. So when senators come up for re-election, 
um, the whole state votes on them just like the governor. Mm. Now, um, so Brian Schatz is up for re-election in 2022. Maisie Hirono comes up uh, in 2024. Oh, okay. So they're staggered, so you're you're never rotating both of them uh, out uh-huh. at the same time. Uh-huh. But still, I mean, that's two people that really represent the whole state, the whole state at the federal government, at the federal level. Correct. Which is, yeah, that's really important because if their thoughts, their ideas don't align with people that are voting for them or people that are not voting for them, then then there's a disconnect there. There's a big disconnect, right. And they could be voting in a position where someone might go, wait, I didn't want to vote for that. Oh, but that's who's representing you. You know, that's right. So it's so really important for very important for people to go out and vote. So please register to vote. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and do your research and you do know? your research. And vote for people that you believe represent your value system and the principles that that you want to see your elected officials represent. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just, you know, I get asked all the time, what's your position on this issue, on that issue? And mm-hmm. I answer people because they want and need to know. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say, what other questions do you have for me right. about me as a person, mm-hmm. about, you know, what I think is important? Mm-hmm. What do I value? Right. Because mm-hmm. those are things that are going to determine how I vote on future issues that neither me nor you right. or anybody else out there may foresee at this time, right? right. So, in, for example, in 2019, did anybody foresee COVID coming up? <laughs> you yeah. couldn't have asked the governor, you know, at that time, hey, what would you do in this instance? Because mm-hmm. nobody was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, be forward thinking, say, hey, um, how will this person act in these different scenarios? Mm-hmm. You know, do they believe in, in government, you know, as the ultimate power or government as uh, uh, an entity that serves the needs of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the factors into stimulus money, the factors into um, CARES Act funds, you know, that it, it really it factors into a lot of things. Yes. But um, I want to circle back to, because you were talking about, you know, you want to learn about who you're voting for. So some background about you. Um, CEO and founder of PM Pro Learn. What is, uh, what is that? It's a... Uh, I kind of read up a little bit about it, but it does like workshops for um, like project management people that are trying to get a certificate for project management. Yes. So the basic concept is we train people to get professional certifications in the field of project management. Mm. So project management is in every industry. You know, mm-hmm. when you build when you build a road or a house, that's a project. But also when you create a new software app on on your iphone Mm -hmm. whoever's building that iphone app that was a project to build that Mm -hmm. um improving processes like hey we want to we want to spend less money in a certain area of the government Mm -hmm. and let's figure out how to do that that's a project so projects are anything that are temporary in nature and are supposed to have a unique outcome Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's a little different than an operation where if you work in an operational business like if you go to walmart they're doing operations there, right? Mm-hmm. Every they're, they're stocking shelves, they're selling goods, and they do the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But projects have a more defined start and finish, and they usually have a budget, and they usually have a, a dedicated team of people that are there for that project, and then when it's done, they're gone. So we mm-hmm. train people how to get certified in this professional skill set for that. Mm. And the business came from uh, my time in the Marine Corps, uh, 24 years, I served in a lot of different roles, mm-hmm. um, fixed airplanes. I was an avionics uh, technician and avionics chief. I was actually a Marine Corps recruiter for three years, and I was an instructor, and I worked at headquarters Marine Corps for three years in manpower management. Oh, wow. Okay. So 
none of that was really what I thought was project management. But when I got out of the Marines and started, uh, you know, talking to employers, it became evident that uh, the skill sets that I had developed in the military were uh, relevant to projects. Mm. And I had employers ask me, hey, can you come manage these projects for us? Mm. We need you to get certified. So I went through the process myself to get certified as what's called a PMP, mm. Project Management Professional. Mm -hmm. And it's wildly popular nowadays with employers in every industry. Mm -hmm. And so I got the certification and, and got into a career field uh, after the Marines in project management. I worked at a couple of um, uh, um, government contractors that were doing software development for uh, our government agencies around Washington, D.C. Uh, I worked at the Food and Drug Administration for three years mm. as a project cool. manager there. Okay. And uh, I worked with pharmaceutical companies that were trying to get uh, drugs approved. And my, my area was animal medicine. Mm. So, the, you know, trying to get drugs approved for cows and dogs and stuff okay. like that. And the FDA does that too. Uh, so, so that was, I was managing those drug approval projects. Mm. So a bunch of my friends from the military said, hey, Tim, how did you get this job at the Food and Drug Administration mm. managing projects that have to do with animal pharmaceuticals? You're a retired Marine guy that used to bust your knuckles on airplanes. How did <laughs> you do that? Mm -hmm. So I started mentoring other military people. Hey, here's how you do that. You got to get this nice. PMP certification. Long story short, it turned into a business. Mm. So mentoring these other veterans turned into a business. And so um, it was my wife and I uh, in 2017 that kicked that business off at our kitchen table. And I taught all the classes and my wife did all the uh, student enrollments, ordered the books and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we started teaching. Well, we grew the bit. We were able to go the business by bringing on some really smart people to help. Yeah, you have a big team. You we're 26 or 27 employees yeah. now, I think. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I don't teach anymore because the business has grown to the point that I'm just involved with overall running the business uh -huh. strategically. And I've got project a, management right there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And my wife is actually our human resources manager. So awesome. she makes sure all the taxes get paid, everybody gets their paycheck, and yeah. all those HR laws, right? So yeah. you got to be very, very uh, careful to take care of people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it just kind of grew. And we, we train about uh, uh, two to 300 students a month. Uh, mostly the Department of Defense is our biggest client okay. from all branches of the military um, because me being retired from the Marines and, you know, I started mentoring military yeah. people, that, that kind of became our niche market. Mm -hmm. And so we help the military, uh, while they're active duty, learn how to manage projects more effectively and efficiently, mm -hmm. get certified in that. And it helps military readiness, right? They're mm -hmm. spending less money doing their projects. So it helps mm -hmm. taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And it helps the military be more uh, you know, efficient and ready uh, for war. And then when those same, same military members get out of the military, mm -hmm. they're certified in the field of project management. And they're able to go get jobs. And the field of project management pays really well. Six-figure salaries are the norm wow. for project managers. So when these guys get out of the military with that certification, they're really set up. Oh, yeah, they're set up for success. They're set up for success. Yeah, uh -huh. it's not a golden ticket to you're definitely getting a job making, right. you know, $150,000. But it, it's but the opportunity is there. Opportunity is there. Uh -huh. Yeah. So so we pride ourselves on helping the military readiness transition. and helping military veterans transition into good civilian careers. Oh, that's awesome. That's an incredible service. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. It's just one of those things that uh, that that you know, 
life circumstances uh, led me to do, and God gave the opportunity to help a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do. We just love helping people. You know, we see the the light bulb come on. Oh, wait, you know, I can I can actually do things better and I can get a great paying job as a civilian. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of civilian employers don't know the value that military people have because mm-hmm. uh, they don't understand what you did in the military. Uh, right? uh-huh. And a lot of military people don't know how to communicate their value to civilian employers. So there's a gap there. Mm. Right. They're super qualified people, but they don't know how to tell employers what their value is and employers don't know. So mm. we bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And if you get the PMP certification, it's a it's a civilian global certification. It's recognized all over the world. If you get that certification, employers immediately know something about the value you bring. Mm. And so that's why it's a super powerful certification. Is that's what we started teaching, but now we also teach agile certified practitioner and lean six sigma uh process okay. improvement okay. certifications as well oh nice so what do you think um well we're talking about the military here uh what do you think is the current issues surrounding active military members as well as uh, veterans these days yeah so that is something that you know some things always stay the same there are always going to be challenges and other things are ever changing so the military's mission is to fight America's wars and win them, mm-hmm. right? So the biggest challenge is staying re- for the military is staying relevant to the current threats that are in the world. Mm-hmm. Technology is always changing. And so we've got what we would consider our adversaries on the planet, Russia, China, North Korea, mm-hmm. to name a few, some folks in the Middle East. And we've got to pay attention to what they're doing. What technology do they have? Do they have the ability to launch a hypersonic nuclear weapon and these Mm -hmm. sort of things? So Mm -hmm. big challenge for the military is staying relevant and prepared for emerging threats. Mm. That's huge, right? Uh, For the military members themselves, you know, that's military. But then we talk about the actual military members. They're always facing the challenges of deployment, separation from family. financial strain associated with separation from family mm-hmm. and uh you know the pay is not that fantastic mm-hmm. yeah it's a decent paying job mm-hmm. but you're not going to be a millionaire <laughs> in the military right so <laughs> right. there's always if i've got four kids and you know i'm a, i'm an e3 or an e4 that's going to be a challenging thing so mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know those type of things that go on but um Another challenge that's come up, though, for the military is the current administration, uh, you know, the Biden administration and the, just some of the, the, the wokeism and socialist mm. type of thinking that's in our current federal government has put the military in a position where, well, now we've got to, to almost be an, uh, an experimental base for the, these new policies, right? Mm. We're, 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 we're now... You know, more concerned about training people on, you know, these these woke ideas in the military. Even we see that all the time rather than war fighting, Mm. you know. And so there's some there's some distractions from the from the main, you know, goal of the military, because there we have administration people that want to use the military as a test bed for their next new, uh, you know, uh, woke ideology. <laughs> and so that's a huge challenge for those those mm-hmm. military folks. Talking about military veterans, 
transition out of the military is a tough thing. Let me tell you. So I did almost 24 years in, and uh, I, re- I was in from 1985 to 2009. And so I came in the Marine Corps when I was 18, right out mm-hmm. of high school. Mm-hmm. So my adult years were in the military. I was oh. so immersed in that culture. And I never, well, I held some jobs, you know, when I was in high school, but I didn't right. h- hold a real adult job that I have to, you know, pay yeah, bills like a off nine of. To five, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, and support a family off of. So I was always, you know, in the military. When I got out, it's like being a fish out of water. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden you're in this totally different environment. People think differently mm. about the the world of work and, um, you know, decision-making and, and you really have to, 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 to do a, mind, a mindset shift getting out of the military. You're no longer in the military. You no longer have this very strict hierarchy of, you know, authority and stuff. Ugh. Everything's a little bit more fluid. Mm. And so um, military veterans face a tough challenge when they transition out. That's always going to be there. We should be doing a lot better with that. Mm-hmm. Companies like mine focus on helping that, but the government, the Department of Defense, should be focusing more. Mm-hmm. on preparing folks. I, I've told a lot of people, hey, I went to boot camp going into the Marine Corps and they took me for three months at Paris Island, South Carolina and, you know, indoctrinated me <laughs> into this new culture of being a Marine. Uh-huh. Well, when you get out, there's no boot camp going back into the civilian world, mm. right? They just like, okay, you're done. You know, have a, have a nice life. So, mm. so there's no transit, there's no indoctrination back into... You know, what's society. this? Yeah, society. What's yeah. this? Or what about? So we need to do a better job at that mm. from the Department of Defense standpoint. But from the government level and things that I can definitely help with as a senator is folk, help, help focusing the Department of Defense on that. Helping veterans transition is huge. Mm-hmm. But health care is such a big deal, right? We see, we've seen the Department of Veterans Affairs in the news for, I mean, many years mm-hmm. now about uh, problems in VA health care and inefficiencies. And they've gotten better. They've definitely gotten better, but there's a long way to go, mm-hmm. long way to go. And uh, um, I still hear stories, and I've heard it here in Hawaii, talking to uh, folks that come out to different meet-and-greet events about, um, you know, challenges that their loved one has had with the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> why is that happening? Uh-huh. You know, these people need us to just pull out all the stops mm. to take care of them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I want to, to champion that, obviously, as a retired Marine, a veteran myself, I want to make sure those things are, are, are all well taken care of. And we're not wasting taxpayer dollars either. I mean, efficiency right. is super important. Mm-hmm. You can't just pour money at any problem, and you can't pour money at the VA and say, hey, here's another billion dollars. Go help veterans better. Right. No, you have it to. It needs to be efficient with that. Need to be efficient. Needs to be oversight on where's the money going. Uh-huh. You know, is it being, uh, uh, is there waste you, that we need a project manager? You need a project manager. You need, <laughs> you need somebody that, that knows Lean Six Sigma mm-hmm. process improvement, which is all about identifying waste mm-hmm. and eliminating that. Mm-hmm. So you can save money and mm-hmm. still get the job done. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting, um, very interesting insight on that. Because, um, yeah, there, there should be a lot more support there and it's not just about dumping money somewhere and and having them figure it out okay what do you what are we going to do with this money then it could just go to waste you know like a billion dollars or something like that and then people will probably complain and say oh what the heck the government's doing something weird again you know what i mean but they're not set up for success Hmm. you know and i think that um 
you know that that kind of goes back with leadership and understanding um what's the right thing to do you know in a a situation like that so yeah very interesting insight all right thank you i appreciate that yeah comes from many years of observing (laughs) (laughs) and being involved you know i'm a veteran and uh uh, when I, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, I was out of the, the Marine Corps for three months mm-hmm. and I had a medical emergency and had to have emergency surgery, mm. you know? And so I oh. was, I was a patient, you know, and I went through this, this thing to actually save my life, you know, when I was got three months out of the Marine Corps and, um, something nobody saw coming. So I've been on that oh. side of it as well, mm. you know, and, uh, was very, very thankful. Yeah, yeah, it was, but I was very thankful that the military retirement benefit was there to help you know, take care of all those bills and, you know, get me taken care of. But, um, yeah, so I'm very, uh, very in tune with uh, mm-hmm. veteran issues and getting those folks taken care of that, that deserve nothing except the absolute best care mm-hmm. that we can give them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just fi- not just physical as well. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of psychological issues that come with combat that so many of our you know veterans have seen. I mean, in my, in my time in the Marine Corps, I served in several combat operations. You know, mm-hmm. we still have people that are in combat operations, even though you don't see it in the news every day now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still people that are in mm-hmm. combat operations. There's a lot of stress there, a lot of mm-hmm. psychological uh, challenges that come from being in those environments. So we, we need to, to do a whole lot better there. You know, uh, a veteran suicide is a, is a big thing and veteran homelessness as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's just related to the stress and psychological challenges that a company serving in combat mm-hmm. so we need to really focus on that not just physically taking care of them right the mental health side because they um i i just saw a article the other day about someone i guess the um i forgot if they're a veteran or not but they were in the um the military and they i guess stabbed their wife mm. their wife was someone who um it was on the h3 actually over here in on oahu but he stabbed them uh, the wife, of course, it, it said that she cheated on him. She was pregnant with another another man's baby. <laughs> Just think I'm bringing this up. But, I mean, it, it goes in line with the military and the, the mental health part about it uh, after they get out of service or even while they're in service, too. You know, there should be more support with that to, to get them acclimated into society and to, you know, help them figure out that, you know that de-stressing part yeah, about it absolutely there's a lot of good programs out there that help with that there needs to be more mm. and there needs to be more connection between different programs because there's a lot of nonprofit organizations that are stepping up to the plate mm-hmm. to fill in some of that uh you know need mm-hmm. that's not being met by the the va mm-hmm. and so we really just need concerted efforts to kind of bring all those resources together and create a system of support Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as we can for veterans. Right. <clears throat> All right. So I, I kind of want to go into some um, some issues that at the federal level, you know, there's been a lot of talks about it. So um, what's your stance on the Second Amend- Amendment? And you, you'd be the, the perfect person to talk about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely in the Marines, you learn how to uh, how to shoot weapons. You, you learn how to shoot them responsibly and handle them responsibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're pummeled with the safety rules of handling weapons, treat every weapon as if it was loaded, never point a weapon at anything you don't intend to shoot and so on. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a Marine, that's ingrained in us. <clears throat> and, 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 you know, the second amendment to the constitution is in the constitution. And it says that the, this right to keep and bear arms of the people shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm a constitutionalist. So I believe if the constitutionalist says something, we should do it. If it doesn't say something, then we don't, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and if you disagree with the, what the Constitution says, there is a process mm-hmm. to get it changed. Right. Mm. So the Constitution has been changed or amended multiple times in our history. Mm-hmm. So when the people say, hey, we disagree with something there or we need to, to modify or add to, um, there's a process to do that. And right now, the Second Amendment is there and it says the right of the people to keep bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. And so we shouldn't be infringing on it mm. at any level of government. Right. It's a constitutionally guaranteed right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think it's there for good reason. I actually had a conversation with a police officer. I live over on the Big Island, Mm -hmm. Kailua-Kona. And I had a conversation with a police officer that was just in my neighborhood directing traffic. And I saw him and I said, hey, I'm going to go talk to him because I'm a candidate. I want to know, you know, what law enforcement is. So I went and talked to him. And I said, hey, you know, there's just some changes, uh, decisions of the Supreme Court that um, changed some of the the way that concealed carry is going to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And definitely going to affect Hawaii because Hawaii's got some strict rules around that. Mm-hmm. So I went and asked the police officer, hey, how do you feel about, you know, the Supreme Court decision that kind of loosened up the, the concealed carry? And um, he, you know, he said, he said, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't like, uh, I don't like, uh, you know, to, to not know when people have weapons and whatnot and so on and so forth. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you this question. Do you encounter criminals right now that are carrying concealed weapons? He goes, oh, yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So are the current laws against concealed weapons preventing those criminals from carrying concealed weapons? <laughs> and he said, no. And I said, so, so the, if, if we allow people mm-hmm. to con- carry concealed weapons, who's going to now be carrying them? Because mm-hmm. the criminals are already doing it. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, the law-abiding people. And I said, you're right about that. I said, <laughs> so now how do you feel about it? He goes, yeah, you make a good point. So I'm for it. So, you know, it's just a, a common sense thing. And the police mm-hmm. officer, you know, realized that, hey, these ba- the bad guys already got guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we can make and, all the laws. And even if it was illegal, they're still going to find a way to get it. They're still going to find a way right. to do it, right? So bad guys are always going to figure out ways to do bad things. Yeah. Restricting law-abiding people is not going to prevent bad guys from doing bad things. Mm-hmm. So... I, I support the Second Amendment because it's in the Constitution, mm-hmm. but I also support it because it's common sense. Mm-hmm. People ought to be able to defend themselves, and uh, being able to keep and bear arms is a way you do that. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, you dial 911, cool, that's great. Mm-hmm. But in the time you're waiting, you know, for someone to come to your, your, uh, your rescue, your rescue <laughs> is there something you could do to save your life or the life of your family? Uh-huh. You're going to do that, right? Because right, not everybody knows how to do self-defense or something. Right. You know, and um, yeah, just to add to that, too, with um, I, I think like with, you know, a lot of gun violence these days, it's a very in, it's an individual thing because with, you know, people going into schools or you know, a, an armed shooter going into uh, a school shooting up kids and teachers and faculty and stuff like that. Um, it's an individual thing. They could have been someone that was, you know, internally, they, they could have been a good person before they decided to do that. And then they had mental health issues that resulted in them resorting to violence. And what what people need to see is maybe that that how they went to that point, how they became to that point of resorting to violence with using a, a firearm rather than restricting the firearm altogether. Yeah, it's a weapon. It's a tool. But 
you can get a baseball bat and that could be a weapon as well and that could be a tool so what uh, are people going to go and say oh well we're going to restrict baseball bats then you know what i mean sure yeah we've seen you know we've seen in recent years that people have even weaponized their car, mm-hmm. driven into crowds mm-hmm. of people. We're not going to restrict cars, down. <laughs> right? But we don't, we don't, you know, restrict car ownership, right? So, um, you know, it's, some of those arguments to me don't make sense, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, but when I grew up, now I'm 55 years old. I graduated high school in 1985. Uh-huh. So when I grew up, the world was totally different, mm-hmm. right? I grew up out kind of in a rural area. Hunting was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I was one of the guys that drove a, a big truck to, to school every morning when I okay. had a driver's license. And I had a shotgun and a gun rack in the back of my window because mm. I had gone hunting the morning before I went to school. Mm. And all of my buddies had guns in their, in their trucks. We didn't take them into school. Mm. You know, we never shot the school up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the access to weapons then was so much greater Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it was actually on the school grounds. They weren't illegal then. Mm-hmm. Right. Those laws had not come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that those laws are bad now. I mean, we definitely need, you know, we need to make common sense. Right. You know, rules mm-hmm. about about things like what do we allow into our schools and whatnot mm-hmm. in these areas. But but what I'm saying is that access to weapons did not cause people in my generation were high. there were not a bunch of school shootings and we didn't see all these mass shootings so mm-hmm. it wasn't access to weapons because mm-hmm. i had tons of access to weapons mm-hmm. and so did my friends so what we see nowadays is sure there's access to weapons but what what has changed mm-hmm. society right mm-hmm. society has changed over time and some of that is because of the uh you know the the things that we've done in our schools mm-hmm. uh, we've removed a lot of discipline from our schools mm. we're we're we're, mm. we're a me generation where you know uh we want to let everybody uh do their own thing and and a lot of a lot of people in our society are struggling with sense of purpose mm. right why am i here and you know when i don't right. feel included in you know a group how do i deal with that and we're, we're we haven't um we're not today i don't think equipping our young people with the skills to cope with basic life challenges. Mm, mm-hmm. And so as they grow and become adults, these things become bigger problems. And like you mentioned, you know, mental health, that, um, uh, you know, they result in violence mm. sometimes, acting out. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think that we need to look at, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm no uh, yeah, yeah. A person with the, the answers on all that, but I think we need to research and say, what, what has driven these people to make those choices mm-hmm. to act violently. Yeah, that's that whole iceberg effect. Like I was saying before too, with you know, with um, Kiki growing up, you know, they may they may have certain surface level problems, but then underneath that ice, uh, underneath the water, the the surface, mm-hmm. there's all these internal struggles that they're dealing with. Right. And then when they get older, then more of that iceberg is showing up. Then it comes to a point where the surface level thing is just violence. You know, and um, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, you I know? think it's, you know, it's become all, it's become more normalized, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's normalized in so many ways. Of course, you can you blame TV or video games or whatever, and I'm not <laughs> blaming those. I'm just saying that over time, violence has become more the norm. Mm. And mm-hmm. we see it on TV more. It's in the media and more people that are in that position uh, that feel like they need to act out. Mm hmm. 
are seeing, oh, there's there's an option for me, and they're going for that option mm-hmm. rather than some other option. So we need to give people better better choices, right? right. Or better options, rather, and not make violence seem so normalized. Normalized, right? All right. Um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to. Uh, I want to talk about Brian Schatz because that's someone who's who's that guy? <laughs> well, we haven't. He's not here right now, but. Yeah. But Brian Schatz actually made a statement. We're actually filming on August um, 2nd for people that want to know. But he made a statement yesterday about um, not being deterred from passing bills because Democrats are doing popular things. And this is in response to the Senate uh, blocking or Republicans blocking a bill to help veterans exposed to burn pits. So um, for yourself, what's your response to that? Well, I would say that uh, in November... When the midterm election results come in, mm-hmm. we're going to see what's actually popular and what's not. <laughs> so I think that what what you're seeing in comments like that from Brian Schatz is uh, people functioning in an echo chamber, not being connected with the the people that they represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if Brian Schatz listened to the people of Hawaii that he represented, and not so much special interest groups, mm. then he would see that a lot of the things he considers to be popular are not quite as popular as he thinks. Mm. I think that's what's popular is being able to afford a house, <laughs> being able to put food on your table, being able to put gas in your tank and not having to make a decision whether I'm going to be able to put gas in my car mm-hmm. or I'm going to you know, be eating uh, ramen noodles or <laughs> you know, a decent meal for my family. Uh-huh. So... Those are things that our, our, our current leaders are out of touch with. They're living in an echo chamber, and they're surrounding themselves with people that nod their head up and down and say and high-five and say, yeah, that's what you should be doing. Mm. But that's not what we see happening here in Hawaii and happening on, on, you know, in, in states across the country. Mm. Um, so I think that you know, a lot of those people that are in power are in an echo chamber, mm. and they're not in tune with, what's changed since they got there, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but I think we're gonna see what's popular. And I've been super encouraged. When I, when I decided to run, um, the first thing you have to do is go on the elections website here in Hawaii and download the nomination paper package. Mm-hmm. And you gotta go get signatures mm-hmm. uh, of registered voters that wanna nominate you, right? Okay. So for the US Senate, you're required to get 25 signatures of registered voters. And when I first saw that, I was like, man, this could be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually got the papers and I went out and got in my, in my, my truck, getting ready to drive around friends and neighbors, folks yeah. at church. And, and I prayed and I said, Hey God, you know, if, uh, if this is really what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, pre please, you know, bring those signatures to me easily. If it's not, then, you know, put some hurdles in my way. So I know this is not what I should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was me. Well, I, I went around and in two days I got 38 signatures I needed 25, wow. but people were like, oh, I want to sign too. Yeah. And people were taking a paper uh, and saying, hey, I'm going to take this home. I've got, you know, uh, a family coming over tonight. I'll get you like 10 signatures. Mm. And so people were signing left and right when they heard, oh, you're going to do something different than the yeah. current, you know, administration, administration that's in there. You've on, actually, right. You're actually going to bring some different principles and values that, that will affect us in a positive way. And so people were just you know uh uh, super willing to sign the papers Mm -hmm. and i was like wow there's a lot of people that won't change here Mm -hmm. and this is not as one-sided of a 
uh, a fight here in this state right. as a lot of people think because mm -hmm. people are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, what we've been doing for the last 60 years in Hawaii, yeah, it's not working. It's not working. Mm -hmm. And so we got to start paying attention and, and picking different people. So I was able to get those signatures in two days and I took them into the, the elections office there in Kona mm -hmm. and uh, handed them in and she said, wait, you got all this in two days? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she goes, we heart, we never have anybody do it that fast. And I was like, well, I just told people who I was, what I stood for, my background, and they were like, yeah, we need a guy like you in office. Mm -hmm. And they were signing left and right. I only got turned down by one person. Mm. And it's not even somebody I knew. I just went in, and as soon as he heard that I was running as a Republican, he's like, nope, I'm a Democrat, I can't sign that. I was like, okay, I, I respect that, right? Mm -hmm. But Because uh, you're not going to get everybody, but only one right. out of the 39, the 39 people that were asked, right. I got 38 signatures. And uh, so... Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so I was very encouraged by that. And now since I've started down the campaign trail, talking to so many people, um, it's just evident that, you know, people want change. Now, I do get a lot of questions about, you know, some off the wall issues because everybody's got their own little, you know, right. thing that they're super concerned about. Uh -huh. But there's around core things, cost of living, mm -hmm. constitutional freedoms, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, a freedom from government control and mandates and executive actions that have no oversight right. and corruption <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, a deterioration of the rule of law. Mm -hmm. You know, those things we see in our state and we see around the United States, like the border mm -hmm. is wide open, you know, in the yeah. <laughs> Mexico rule of law is just gone there. So around some very core issues, people that I'm meeting mm -hmm. and I'm not in an echo chamber, I'm going out into the community, mm -hmm. not just Republican events. I've been to several mixed, you know, bag events where, hey, we've got Democrat and Republican candidates here. Mm -hmm. But I keep hearing people are kind of, you know, united around we need to fix these things. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't continue the way that we're going because our cakey don't have a future here mm -hmm. in a while. I've come across just in the last week two young families who are leaving Hawaii who grew up here, mm -hmm. right, born and raised, their families here, and they're leaving the islands. Mm. Like, why are you leaving, mm -hmm. right? This place is beautiful, right? right. We've had such a wonderful place to live. Mm -hmm. And they're like, look, we can't afford. We're working three jobs. Mm -hmm. And we're living in, you know, a place that we don't know how we'll ever afford to buy a place, mm -hmm. right? It's like beyond our our comprehension to be able to afford to buy here mm -hmm. and we don't see a future for our keiki mm. we need to get them in a, an environment where they're they've got an ability to achieve that american dream right mm -hmm. of getting a job raising a family having financial uh security right and mm -hmm. home ownership and you know just just being able to be happy in life without struggling every single day for the base mm -hmm. so People are, are focused around, that's what's popular. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think the current folks that are in office that are making those statements know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, another popular thing is, um, is definitely uh, families being able to afford things. Um, so I want to talk about you know, tax reforms and what, what kind of tax policies you want to put into place as well. Um, some of the current ones that you know, Biden supports are earned income tax credits as well as child tax credits. But he also is pushing for minimum federal, federal wage of $15 an hour. So 
in a way, do you think that's countering some of these tax credits and you know in, increasing the federal, um, or just increasing the minimum wage in general? I mean, over here it's increasing to eighteen dollars. Do you think dollars an hour? Do you think that's something that is kind of undoing some of those tax reforms, those tax credits? Yes, yeah, so I think that uh, we are overtaxed mm-hmm. in general at the state level and at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that we're overtaxed is because government has grown so big. Mm. And we've got so such bureaucracy throwing around, you know, when you hear on the news, hey, we just, Congress just, you know, voted a bill to spend another $10 billion on this or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like this number that nobody can really, okay, yeah, that's a ma- an imaginary number. We yeah, can't a lot even, of zeros. That's right. We can't even think about that much money. Uh-huh. I don't even know where that's coming from. Uh-huh. You know? But what's happening in reality is that the government is out of control with spending. Mm. And even the people that are in Congress voting these bills through to spend all this money, they don't even know where the money's coming from. Mm. They just know that if I tack enough zeros onto this and vote for it, somebody's going to be happy that I'm shoveling money their direction and mm-hmm. they're going to vote for me. Mm. The problem is we are our government, people making these decisions, they either don't understand or don't care about the interconnectedness of those decisions. Mm, no accountability. No accountability. Uh-huh. And they don't think about, yeah, I'm going to shovel a bunch of money at this problem right now, but what's the impact of spending all that money on this where's that going to come from yeah who's it going to hurt who's it going to hurt right Mm -hmm. it's got to come from somewhere and so we we need to cut taxes because the buying power of families and we talked about this already in hawaii people working multiple jobs just Mm -hmm. to make ends meet the buying power of a paycheck has dwindled due to many reasons taxes is one of the huge ones Mm -hmm. we need to cut taxes so that people are able to retain more of the hard-earned money that they worked for, mm. right? Instead of giving it to the government. Yeah. Um, but you can't just cut taxes without cutting what else? Spending, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to continue to spend money, you have to continue to tax mm-hmm. and even increase it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see going on with the current administration and the folks in Congress. So cutting taxes needs to be done, but you have to also bring down spending. Mm-hmm. So we need to start looking at being more efficient. Where are we wasting money? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there, our our government over, you know, many years has created all these programs with good intent to help people, Mm -hmm. but they've grown to the point that people have become dependent on the government. Mm -hmm. And they see that as, oh, this is how I pay my bills. I get into this government program. And so now I become dependent on it. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem with that is now these people are actually becoming in a way, enslaved to the federal government because Mm -hmm. that program is controlling their ability to live Mm -hmm. and they have to stay on that program because they've kind of, you know, uh, uh, been programmed to do that. Mm -hmm. So the government is using a bunch of programs to make people dependent on it. And what that does is it gives the government power, Mm. right? So we can't just go and cut programs left and right and say, hey, we're going to cut spending out of this program and that program without looking at the impacts. Mm -hmm. So I'm for decreasing the size of government, reducing spending, reducing taxes so the people, the taxpayers have more money in their pocket and buying power. Mm -hmm. But we have to do it smart. 
right? Mm-hmm. We have to make sure that people that are currently dependent on different government programs are taken care of, mm-hmm. first of all, and that we create good decisions that take care of those people while shrinking the size of government. Mm. It's not an overnight thing. It has to be done over time, and we have to do it efficiently because there's a ton of waste in there. Right. right? So we need to cut spending. We need to cut taxes, but we also need to look at how are people going to be impacted, you know, as we do that. We need to move. But the reason that people have become Mm. dependent on those programs is because the economy has been decimated Mm -hmm. by a lot of decisions, and so they have to work three jobs because that paycheck that they were getting doesn't mean the same thing as it used to. Mm. You know, you mentioned the, um, so so when we talk about tax credits, you know, the Biden administration, Mm -hmm. those are, in my view, are used as gimmicks to get Mm -hmm. people to uh, not be too concerned about the spending that the government's going to do because Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, he's going to give me a tax credit. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But then they don't, don't look at, okay, well, if you're giving me a tax credit, but you're spending more money. Where's that money coming from? Mm-hmm. So where it's coming from is in other taxes on other people and other businesses around. Mm. Now, people don't immediately get concerned about that. Mm. It was like, oh, it's not me. I got a tax cut. But when you raise taxes on, for example, business, or you raise taxes on... Right. People are not seeing that. They're not seeing it because yeah. when, a, when a business, when it costs a business more you know, in taxes to do mm-hmm. the work... What do they do? They hire less people, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't have as much money to put in their workforce. Mm-hmm. That, or they pass the increased taxes on to consumers in the prices that they pay. Mm-hmm. So while you might have got a tax cut, now you're going to the grocery store and paying more for a jug of milk and a dozen eggs mm-hmm. because the tax cuts, the tax cuts. Were, were, were put on somebody else. Right. The taxes was, were just, just moved. It was just shifted somewhere and, else. And increased in the process, right? Uh-huh. Not just moved, but... We took it off of you, put it on somebody else, and increased it on them, mm. and they're going to pass it back to you in the prices you pay at the store. Mm. It's the same thing with the minimum wage, right? I'm all about, uh, as I've talked about, families being able to achieve to what we things. call the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. Afford things without working three jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but raising the minimum wage to these insane levels, like $18 an hour, mm-hmm. once you do that, that $18 an hour that sounds great now, five years from now, that $18 an hour is not going to be worth $18 anymore. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is employers cannot afford to pay those increased wages without changing something. Mm-hmm. And again, those changes can be cutting the number of people that they have. They're employing less people, mm-hmm. right? So people may lose jobs over that. Mm-hmm. Some businesses will actually go out of business. Small what we consider, you know, local mom and pop operations that are operating on thin profit margins Mm -hmm. already, they're just going to say, throw their hands up, say, we we can't afford to pay people that, Mm -hmm. and they're going to close down. And uh, then there goes, you know, jobs right there uh, uh, where, you know, people um, used to have one. Right. And, uh, you know, and or they're going to, and or they're going to pass it on and increase prices to the consumer. So if you're making $18 an hour, that sounds cool. But then when you go to the store to buy something and it costs, you know, way more than it used to, (laughs) your $18. So we should be looking at buying power Uh of families and paychecks rather than arbitrary numbers of minimum wage. Mm -hmm. How can we increase the buying power of families? Mm -hmm. And that is a result of creating a robust economy where market conditions are able to lower prices 
and increase uh, opportunity for jobs for folks and lower taxes so that the paycheck you get, while it may be $15 an hour instead of $18 an hour, mm-hmm. that $15 is worth even more mm-hmm. than the $18 an hour. It's all interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. And we can't just make these these uh, one-off decisions to say, let's, let's you know, do this with taxes, let's do this with uh, minimum wage without looking at how it impacts you know, right. things over time. Finding ways to circulate the economy. That's right. To, um, to make it stronger. Correct. Right? That's right. Rather than dumping money inefficiently and then causing a rift in that circulation. There, there's a blockage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, the economy is based on, like you said, it's a, it's a river that basically flows in a circle. Mm-hmm. You know, that money's got to move around. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got to get their, you know, their piece of it so they can pay their bills and take care of their family stuff. If you slow that down, then, you know, there's less and less for, you know, people uh, to have. We have to keep the economy going. Right. And we have to incentivize uh, business to uh, grow jobs and for them to make uh, profits right. that they be can able to afford. Thrive. Right. And they can afford to pay good, good wages. Mm. The government forcing, you know, things on businesses never turns out well. Mm-hmm. Never turns out well. <laughs> it's got to be a partnership, right? Uh-huh. The government needs to understand how business works. And business needs to understand their piece in the economy that the government is, you know, very concerned to keep flowing. Mm-hmm. So it's a partnership and it's not a us and them type of thing. Mm-hmm. So we have to work together between government officials and business people. And I think one of the one of the huge problems you have in, in government, so many people are there, career politicians. Yeah. They never started a business, you know, they mm-hmm. were never in a position. And they don't know what these other business owners are dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's difficult. You know what I mean for for business owners because they're trying to say something when they're struggling, but there's people already passing bills that they're like, I don't, I don't agree with this. You know, and then then they end up shutting down their business, right? And then the economy, there's still a blockage there. So then they're trying to figure out, okay, what do, what do we do to help families out? Well, strengthen the economy. There's a there's a way of strengthening it and. Um, it, you have great ideas for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, so a lot of that came from operating a business, right? Uh-huh. So I, I started four businesses since I retired from the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Like any entrepreneur knows, the first one or couple may not work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have a lot of lessons learned right. from those businesses. And I learned a lot about this concept of profit and loss mm-hmm. and that businesses don't operate if you've got a loss, mm-hmm. right? You <laughs> yeah. have to figure out you'll shut down. Uh-huh. A business can't, I can't pay my own bills. I can't make the payroll. Mm-hmm. So you have to close. So you have to figure out how to make the business profitable. And when you're able to do that, you're able to hire more people. You know, we, like I said, we grew, we grew my business, PM Pro Learned, with the fourth one that I started. The other three did okay, but you know, there were some challenges and we had to shut them down. But mm-hmm. PM Pro Learn benefited from those ones that didn't go quite so well. Because I said, oh, okay, I'm going to do it different next time. Mm-hmm. And so when we started PM Pro Learn, we were a little bit more prepared. Mm-hmm. And I uh, were able to grow the business. So I learned that if I grow the business, I'm able to employ more people. Mm-hmm. And if I'm able to employ more people, I'm able to grow the business more. And I can employ more people and so forth. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. biggest, um, uh, uh, the thing I'm most happy about of having started a business is the jobs that I created. 
I'm so happy I can go and say there are now 26 families mm-hmm. that have good income because I was able to figure out and work with, uh, you know, smart people to make our business work. Mm-hmm. And there's now 26 families that have really good paying jobs mm-hmm. from that. And the more that we can incentivize that, the better everyone is. Because when business thrives and uh, people have more jobs and better paying jobs, they put more money into the economy. Right. They circulate it. They circulate it. Mm-hmm. They buy more things from a restaurant, from you know, mm-hmm. uh, different goods and services, and the whole they increase thing. Increase the works. market power. That's right. Mm-hmm. It just works. So that experience is something that I you know want to take to the U.S. Senate, and we're mm-hmm. talking about how do we fix the economy. Hey, I know I know how this works at the ground level mm-hmm. of someone who's trying to struggle and make a business work mm. and uh, how government uh, action impacts that in positive or negative ways. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Yeah, excited about that. Well, Tim, I uh, have a couple more questions. Um, why do you think you're the right candidate for the U.S. Senator position? Well, you know, I struggle with this when I when I first was thinking about running for Senate because mm-hmm. you always, you know, think about Hey, what is my what is what is my next move? Is this the right thing? Right. But I am absolutely the right candidate for this Senate race because of the background that we've been talking about so far. Mm-hmm. I'm a retired U.S. Marine combat veteran, so I've got the experience of having defended our country, been in very stressful, austere conditions, gone out there and done what our country needed to do to defend us. And I've led people in those environments, mm-hmm. um, very diverse environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a retired Marine combat veteran. I'm a small business entrepreneur, uh, small business entrepreneur and owner who's gone through the things that we we mentioned. Mm-hmm. That I know so many people here in Hawaii, for example, are you know doing that. I try to buy local every single time I can mm-hmm. um, because I know what they're going through, right? And I want to help them with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked in the government, in the federal government, from Mm -hmm. a regulatory agency at the Food and Drug Administration. So I've been inside a regulatory agency and interacted actually with uh, Congress on some of the things that were going at the FDA. We had to report certain things to Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've worked in uh, private industry um, uh, supporting the government. Mm -hmm. So around Washington, D.C., I've also got a very diverse experience of living in multiple places. Mm-hmm. Right? I've got this Southern accent. I grew up in North <laughs> Carolina uh-huh. and I left North Carolina a long time ago, but the accent didn't leave. Mm-hmm. So it comes with me, but I've lived in multiple uh, states, multiple countries, um, uh, came to Hawaii the first time in 2004, loved it, said I'm gonna live there when the Marine Corps stops moving me all over the planet mm-hmm. uh, and make that <laughs> my home. And uh, so I bring this very, very diverse background of military, business, working in and for the government. Project management. Project management and living uh, and seeing different cultures and how things work in different places. How does, you know, governments are totally different, different places on the the planet. And some are in really a shamble. So we're headed that way Mm. um, if we don't make some change. But uh, I bring all that vast knowledge. Mm-hmm. But what I also bring is conservative values mm-hmm. of wanting to listen to and care for the people and lower the cost of living, increase their opportunities 
uh, to have a good future for their family. Mm. Um, and I bring the value of listening to people mm. and not being on my lofty throne in Washington, D.C., <laughs> doing things that I think are popular, mm. right, mm -hmm. without listening to the people and finding out what are they really concerned about. Mm -hmm. So I'm ready for change. So many people around me are ready for change. I'm a man of action. When I'm in the United States Senate, I'm not going in there and sitting on the back row. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a front center seat on getting things accomplished for the people of Hawaii mm -hmm. and the people uh, all over this country. Mm -hmm. Well, Tim, I got to say thank you for joining me on this podcast. And, and thank you for sharing about your life and your background as well as your ideas. Very progressive, honestly. I mean, they're conservative, but, you know, they're... They're common sense things, you know what I mean? And I think that's what we're missing these days, you know, the common sense factors in how we should be doing with decision-making, you know? Um, so how can people uh, reach out to you for more information? Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. So our website is real simple. It's just my name.com. So timdalhouse.com, mm -hmm. funny last name, spelled D-A-L-H-O-U-S-E. Mm -hmm. So timdalhouse.com. You can also find us on uh, Instagram, yep. Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and uh, love to, you know, connect with people through all those different mediums. Mm -hmm. Of course. Thank you. And for people out there, if you enjoyed this video, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to Combice Guy Podcast. Right, and yeah. um, of course, I'm going to put your links as well in the description of the video. Thank and, you. Um, yeah. We were just talking about Instagram today, or IG, and you're asking me, what is IG? Instagram. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. um, Very cool. And, you know, best of luck to you. I mean, like like I was telling you, we were talking off, off camera before, but uh, about like the, um, the exposure for, you know, uh, yourself as well as other candidates that are running for the U.S. Senator position that's going on, but you know, there's not a lot of coverage and I'm, I'm glad I could uh, give you this opportunity to, to bring more coverage to the yeah, race. So you know? much appreciated. Yeah, definitely. You know, can I throw just one little thing in of course. here on the end? So uh, I'm glad you brought that up because um, this is a fight that mm -hmm. I'm in. This is a big, huge challenge. Mm -hmm. If you look, you know, we mentioned earlier that it hasn't had a Republican Senator and I'm a Republican with conservative values in, United States Senate representing Hawaii since 1977. Right. So <laughs> the, 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 the opponent, Brian Schatz, thinks he's untouchable. Civil Beat just, just published an article the other day that, hey, there's no competition for Brian Schatz. Has he got a job for life up there? Uh, he's got $4 million in his campaign fund. Mm. Now, Tim Dalhouse does not have $4 million in my campaign fund. Mm. And what does money do in a campaign? Well, money drives getting the message out. Mm -hmm. Radio, TV print advertising, all these things. You mm -hmm. have to have money to drive that. So anytime campaigns have a lot of money, they've got an advantage because they can drive that, that message across you know, paid media. Mm -hmm. So we've got a serious challenge on our hands. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm the guy that can, can take him out of that seat mm -hmm. because I'm a serious candidate with a serious team. We brought on a professional strategy team, and you mm -hmm. may not have seen this from a lot of Republican challengers in the past. Mm -hmm. We've got a professional strategy team um, that's helped other uh, Republican candidates uh, uh, up and down the ticket mm -hmm. and uh, around the country called TLC Political um, that's helping figure out, okay, how do, we, how do we 
how do we get the message out? What's the right message mm-hmm. to wake people up to vote this guy out? Mm-hmm. I've got a professional campaign manager mm-hmm. who's managed multiple campaigns and knows what he's doing. And he teaches me stuff every single day, mm-hmm. you know, about uh, how do you run a good professional campaign and get the word out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're spending a lot of, uh, of money on this campaign. So in the primary, um, we've spent $250,000 getting the message out, mm. print, uh, radio advertising, uh, doing some polling. Because mm. we, did, we didn't just want to go out there and say, hey, we know what you need there, people of Hawaii. We actually ran some polls mm-hmm. and asked, what are your concerns? Mm-hmm. Because we want to make sure that we're addressing those concerns in the campaign. Mm-hmm. So we've spent $250,000, and it was out of my pocket. Mm. And so we, I, I did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, get the campaign going. Mm-hmm. Number two, to just show people that, that I'm not doing this for special interest or money that's coming from uh, somewhere else uh, outside the state trying to get me elected. Mm-hmm. I am doing this because it's the right thing to do, but we need help. Going, rolling into the general election, we're going to need to come up with more funding, we need volunteers. Mm-hmm. So when people go to that website, timdowhouse.com, if they're interested in helping uh, make positive change for Hawaii and uh, you know creating an environment where we can have future for our keiki, mm-hmm. we need donations. Mm-hmm. We need to go against that $4 million campaign fund. Mm-hmm. We need volunteers to do grassroots efforts all across the state. Mm-hmm. So I just want to let, let folks know that you are needed. If you like what you, you hear and you see about Tim Dowhouse and my uh, you know, uh, a desire to do great things for the people of Hawaii, please get involved. We mm-hmm. definitely need the help. Of course, definitely. Tim, at the end of the show, we usually do a kampai. Here's to you. Here's to you for good luck on your campaign as uh, and good luck to the unpopular things that you're, you're pushing, but they're going to be very popular very soon. So, Good. Kampai. Kampai. Kampai.